Hi, I'm Marianne Sparks. Welcome to the hot seat. With us today to discuss the role of religion in the recent political unrest in Egypt is Professor John Seidel. Thanks for being with us, John. Thank you. So there have been some fears, particularly in the West, that Mubarak will be replaced by a more Islamist regime. Do you think these fears are justified? Well, I think these fears might in some measure represent a certain kind of uh, Islamophobia. There might be concerns about uh, what you might find in a Muslim democracy in which 80 million Muslims get to choose their own leaders. There might be concern about an Islamic revolution along the lines you see uh, or you saw in Iran in the late 1970s. But there also might be concern about how a democracy in which Islam has more uh, strength and power over policy uh, perhaps might promote a certain set of policies in terms of, say, women or social issues, homosexuality, uh, minority rights for the Coptic Christian minority in Egypt. And lastly, perhaps under the rubric of concerns about an Islamist government are really concerns about Egypt's policy towards Israel and Egypt's involvement in the siege in Gaza in particular. So I think when, when people express those concerns, it might be worth recalling you know, that under that rubric, there might be some specific kinds of concerns. So to answer your question, um, it seems to me that uh, there is little evidence of anything along the lines of an Islamic revolution unfolding in Egypt. Uh, similar to what happened in Iran in the late 1970s. Uh, first of all, in terms of a real revolution, it doesn't seem, for better or worse, that the army is beginning to collapse, which was an element of the Shah's fall uh, in the Iranian revolution. So it's not a, a revolution in that sense. It seems like what might happen, what hopefully will happen, uh, is that there will be a transition to democracy elections, perhaps in September, if not earlier. Uh, and that's the kind of so-called revolution we would see. And secondly, the, the leadership of uh, the uh, protests in the streets, the discourse that's being used, the idiom of protest, the organizations involved, the networks of people, uh, are not uh, predominantly Islamist or relying on Islam as an idiom of protest, as they did uh, do so in the 1970s in Iran. So in terms of an Islamic revolution, that's not on, a hori on the horizon. What I think people are specifically worried about and keep flagging repeatedly in the news these days is the possibility of the Muslim Brotherhood gaining increasing power, if not dominating uh, electoral politics and thus parliament uh, and perhaps even the presidency directly or indirectly in Egypt. And the Muslim Brotherhood has done reasonably well for an opposition grouping when it has been allowed to participate in elections, even under conditions of very restricted uh, competition with a lot of advantages for the ruling party. So I think it is fair to say that the Muslim Brotherhood may win 20% of the vote, some say maybe 30% of the vote, but we don't know because in point of fact, uh, elections haven't been free and fair and judging from what we've seen in the streets and from what we know about the Muslim Brotherhood and what we've seen in a variety of other countries, under conditions of genuine open electoral competition, Islamist parties don't do very well. They don't win majorities unless they transform themselves radically. Could you tell us a little bit about the Muslim Brotherhood and what role they're playing in Egypt right now? Sure. 
the Muslim Brotherhood was founded in the late 1920s by a man named Hassan al-Banna, and it was an organization that was founded by a man who was a school teacher and who uh, was finding himself uh, increasingly uh, disappointed, dismayed, dismayed, distressed by the inroads of secularism, of Christian missionary activity, and by the transformations of Egyptian life in the 1920s in terms of the Islamic precepts that he had grown up with and how they were being violated or ignored uh, amidst great social change. So he began uh, preaching and organizing uh, in the coffee shops uh, among workers and lower class, middle class people. Uh, and organizing sort of dahwa, sort of uh, preaching sessions, proselytizing efforts to sort of revive people's uh, sense of the faith in the 20s. And over successive decades, the Muslim Brotherhood evolved from those sorts of efforts into a, a broader network within Egypt and beyond of associational activity, famously uh, sponsoring uh, clinics and various kinds of localized sort of welfare activities, social welfare activities, especially among the urban poor. But overwhelmingly, especially in recent decades, the Muslim Brotherhood has been an association with uh, a middle-class constituency and has a very strong influence among the professional syndicates of lawyers and engineers and doctors uh, and accountants and the like. Uh, in Egypt's major cities. So it's an urban middle class movement uh, that is committed to uh, the promotion of an Islamic way of life uh, and which in various ways has seen Islam, as they say in their slogan, Islam as is the solution or, or as a guiding uh, idiom and a framework for understanding solutions to various kinds of problems in Egyptian society. There has been a lot of cooperation between Muslims and Christians during the protest. Will Egyptians be able to build on this cooperation, or do you think the religious tensions will resurface? Well, I think if you look at uh, Egypt in, the, in a broader comparative context, you can see that uh, it is comparable to other countries, say Indonesia, for example, where you have a small but important uh, non-Muslim minority. The Coptic Christians in Egypt, I believe, with 7 million or so, are something like 10% of the population. And there have been, in recent memory, quite recently, uh, occasional terrorist bombings and other incidents of violence and tension uh, under conditions of authoritarian rule. So what would a democratic opening mean? Would it mean more likelihood of uh, sort of persecution or difficulty for uh, a minority, especially if the Muslim Brotherhood in particular had increasing influence over government policy. I think the Muslim Brotherhood to date um, has actually shifted in its public statements from, say, 15 years or so in terms of openly, assiduously uh, articulating a strong commitment to uh, protecting the rights and being concerned for the rights uh, of the Coptic minority and saying, no, it, it, we, we were wrong once upon a time to say that Copts could not be presidents of Egypt, could not serve in the highest uh, ranks of the military and so forth. So I, I think that in terms of those sorts of pronouncements and understandings, there's been a decided shift. I also think that the historical record for other cases, uh, other democracies, uh, is pretty clear that 
Uh, if you look at a country like Indonesia, the small ethnic Chinese minority that's overwhelmingly non-Muslim has done much better under democracy than they did under authoritarian rule. Uh, and in a variety of other settings, this notion that a sort of pariah, entrepreneurial, uh, religious or ethnic minority uh, would effectively be protected by an authoritarian regime and then rendered vulnerable by democracy ignores both the kind of predatory nature of the authoritarian regime and how they manipulate and, and prey upon that minority, but also how under conditions of elections, um, except under certain very uh, specific local conditions of competition uh, and rivalry on a local level often, um, the tendency is for uh, such issues to be sublimated within a larger logic of machine politics uh, or other sorts of issues uh, in which the mileage to be gained by going after the cops uh, is really minimal. So I, I think those sorts of fears, which you can see in certain kinds of uh, email and website, blog spot and uh, newspaper postings, I think they are exaggerated. Uh, I certainly hope they are. What are the regional implications of the unrest in Egypt? The regional implications are potentially important but indeterminate at this stage. Uh, the Mubarak government has been well known uh, as an important ally of the United States and Israel over the past few decades. And in addition, uh, in recent years, playing a crucial role in assisting Israel and the United States in creating an effective siege of Gaza to uh, prevent Hamas from uh, accumulating uh, arms and logistical uh, support for uh, attacks on Israel and effectively maintaining a kind of siege uh, on Gaza to punish the population for voting in Hamas in the first place. And insofar as Hamas is really a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood that emerged out of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, uh, one can see that in Egypt, the sympathies for Hamas and the possibilities uh, of people wanting to change that policy uh, might really be there under democratic conditions that would challenge the existing policies. On the other hand, it's worth noting two things. First of all, that there are many democracies uh, across the world where the military and the intelligence community still enjoy uh, prerogatives uh, over foreign policy. And... Uh, the kind of leverage that the United States might try and use to promote continuity in this policy, even under democratic auspices, might be considerable. Uh, the other thing is is really that we could look at Turkey, uh, where you see uh, a party in power today that we might describe as having uh, Islamist uh, background and orientation, but which has remained effectively an American and uh, an Israeli ally, despite a kind of shift in the tone and style of the relationship. So I think even under a scenario which takes some imagination to envisage in which the Muslim Brotherhood in particular has more power and, and is part of some kind of government or affects policy directly or indirectly, there's no guarantee of a dramatic shift in policy. But certainly with democratization in the Middle East and in Egypt in particular, the United States and Israel should be on notice that, in fact, they have to take into account the wishes and preferences and beliefs uh, of ordinary people uh, in a region which has been, you know, overwhelmingly authoritarian and which, in which the wishes of 
uh, ordinary people have been uh, ignored for so long. All right, we'll leave it there. Professor John Seidel, you are off the hot seat. Thank you for being with us. And thank you for being with us. Please tune in next month for our next edition of The Hot Seat.